This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Friday, December 18th, 2020. On this day in 1948, serial killer Ed Kemper was born in Burbank, California. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Due to the graphic nature of today's story, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of abuse and murder that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Today, we're covering the birth and childhood of one of America's most infamous killers, Edmund Ed Kemper. Let's go back to December 18, 1948, in Burbank, California. Edmund Kemper was born just a few days before Christmas, but his mother saw him as a curse rather than a gift. That's all he really knew about his birth. No one talked about him, much less his inception. For as long as he could remember, Big Eddie Kemper always felt like he was in trouble for something he didn't do. No matter how he behaved, his mother was mad at him. Now it was 1958 and he was 10 years old. Eddie was frequently screamed at and smacked over the head, with his mom telling him he was a weirdo, that she didn't trust him around his sisters. He knew he was big for his age, hence the nickname, but he didn't know what his mother thought he would do to his sisters. This abuse was bad enough, but the worst part was what she did to him at night. She'd grab him and drag him down into the basement. There was a bed, but no light, and it was cold. She'd shut and lock the door, and he was expected to sleep down there until she decided to let him out. She always did, but he feared what would become of him if she ever forgot. All he had was himself. He hated his mother. Really, he hated his sisters, too. They didn't care about him didn't speak up, probably thought he was a weirdo also. But that didn't mean he didn't try to reach out, try to connect with them, play with them. They even had a favorite game, or at least he did. Eddie would tell his sisters that it was time to play Gas Chamber. They didn't totally understand the reference, but for him, the idea of being famous enough to be killed like this was thrilling. He would hand them a blindfold and tell them to put it on him. He made sure they really did, making it so that he couldn't see, so that he could really imagine being carted off by jailers. Then he'd have them guide him to a chair he'd set up in the middle of whatever room they were playing in. They'd sit him down, pretend to strap him in. Then he'd have them flip the switch. It was all imaginary, but he played it up like it was real. 
He'd choke and struggle and act like he was being filled with poisonous gas, like his lungs were letting go of every last morsel of oxygen. Sometimes they'd play a slight variation, electric chair, where he'd just thrash around and imagine electricity coursing through his body. It may have been him acting out his own death, but it was a death that perhaps made him feel like he could get back at his mother. He would be gone, and she would forever wonder if it was her fault. But as much as he enjoyed this game, true revenge sounded far more appealing. Late at night, while he shivered in the dark basement, he imagined taking a knife and sawing his mother's head from her body. Then he'd put it on a stick and just look at it. Think about how minutes ago she'd been so mean, so scary, so sure that he was wrong and she was right. But in that moment, with her dead eyes staring back at him, he knew that he had been right all along. She was the bad one, and there was nothing wrong with him. This was just a fantasy, but that didn't mean he didn't try and act it out. You see, his sisters had a pet cat. He didn't much care for the thing, didn't really get the point of something that couldn't talk. And he figured, being that it was just some dumb animal, maybe it was the perfect thing for him to act out his urges on. It couldn't talk, but it did have a head. He went into the backyard and started digging. He knew his mom would be too drunk to notice, and the girls would be too scared to ask him what he was doing. So he kept digging. Then, once he was satisfied with the depth of the hole, he went looking for the cat. It was a calm enough creature. It put up little resistance as he took it from the house to the backyard. Then, he tossed it into the hole and started filling it in before the cat could jump out. It wasn't long before the cat was buried alive. Perhaps Ed felt this was the easiest way to kill the cat. If he had tried a more direct method, it might have scratched him and gotten away. It might have made too much noise and attracted his family. This way was clean and simple, and it allowed him to return when he was ready. Once Kemper was sure he wouldn't be caught, he returned to the hole and started digging. Soon, he found the cat's limp body. It wouldn't scratch him, wouldn't make any noise now, not ever again. And finally, he could do what he had always wanted. Using his shovel, he decapitated the feline. Then he found a stick. He stuck it into the ground, and then he stuck the cat's head on top. It wasn't his mom's head, but it was a start. Coming up, we'll discuss how the rest of Kemper's childhood led up to his infamous serial-killing career. 
Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa. If you haven't had a chance to check out the entertaining new podcast, Blind Dating, now's the time to binge what you've missed before catching all new episodes every Wednesday. In this Spotify original from Parcast, we're expanding the places you can meet your match with a twist you'll never see coming. Join host Tara Michelle as she introduces one hopeful single to two strangers in a voice-only call. Through a series of illuminating games and questions, the trio will will get to know one another without the distraction of appearances. But once the cameras are turned on, is personality still enough for these strangers to fall for each other? Or will they say farewell? Connect with new episodes of Blind Dating every Wednesday. You can find and follow Blind Dating free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Edmund Kemper was born on December 18, 1948, and went on to have a traumatic childhood. Then Edmund Big Eddie, or Ed Kemper, became one of America's most infamous serial killers. This was partially due to his size. He was nearly seven feet tall and weighed 300 pounds, but he was also fairly prolific, taking 10 victims, including his mother, and grandmother. But before that, he was a little boy, one whose childhood held all the classic markers that might lead a boy to become a killer. As we portrayed in the first part of today's episode, Ed's mother was an abusive alcoholic who left him with feelings of inferiority and a desire for revenge. He started to act on these feelings at the age of 10, when he buried his sister's cat alive, then decapitated it and put its head on a stick. A few years later, in 1962, at the age of 13, he killed another cat, this time more directly with a knife. In 1963, 15-year-old Ed ran away from home to try and find his father in Van Nuys, California, as his mother had taken him and his sisters to Montana after their parents' divorce in 1957. But when Ed finally found him, his father didn't want anything to do with his son. This rejection likely deepened Ed's feelings of inferiority. His mother didn't know what to do with him, and so she sent him to live with his grandparents in North Fork, California. Not exactly a promising development, as any true crime fans will recognize. His grandmother was just as domineering and spiteful as his mother, which didn't help his worsening problems. His grandfather gifted him a rifle, yet another upsetting development, and soon Ed was using it to kill birds and small animals on the property. Disturbing, but not necessarily serial killer behavior just quite yet. Throughout 1964, he was an average but quiet student at his local high school, clashing with his grandma at home. 
She found him disturbing enough to where she would hide her husband's 45 caliber handgun when she was out of the house. She also took Ed's rifle, growing concerned over his continued killing of birds and small animals. But apparently, she didn't lock it up for good, or she didn't hide it well enough. On August 27, 1964, 15-year-old Ed used the rifle to shoot his grandmother three times in the head and back. It was only a 22 caliber, but it was enough to kill. His anger at not just his grandmother, but his own mother, had reached a boiling point. As Ed would later tell the sheriff, he just wanted to see how it felt to shoot grandma. This was the next level of escalation beyond the cats and small animals he had killed throughout his childhood. Like the cat's head on the stick in the backyard, it allowed him to move ever closer to doing the thing he most wanted to do, but perhaps also most feared, killing his mother. But first, there were more relatives to kill. When his grandfather came home that night in 1964, Ed intercepted him in the driveway and shot him in the back of the head. He claimed that he didn't want to put his grandfather through the pain of seeing his wife murdered. Of course, for one so lacking in empathy, we might also imagine that he simply didn't want to have to listen to his grandfather's horrified reaction. Or perhaps he so enjoyed the first kill that he thought he might as well sneak in one more. Regardless, Ed Kemper turned himself in that night and remained in various psychiatric hospitals for the next four years or so. Once he got out in 1969, it would only be a few more years before his murder spree began. Kemper's story might seem familiar. It's echoed in many of Hollywood's classic slasher films, the overbearing mother, the physical differences that set him apart from his peers, the early violence that serves as a warning sign. Like Michael Myers killing his sister and being held for years in a mental hospital, or the hulking Jason, whose unhinged mother was actually the killer in the first movie. Of course, these films are simplified, basically insensitive portrayals of the kinds of abuse and mental illness that creates a serial killer. And these conditions are much like the conditions that lead to a tornado. We know what they are, what to watch for, but whether the clouds actually begin to rotate and touch down, whether a disturbed young man will actually go over the edge into murder remains largely up to chance. When Kemper was born on that fateful December day in 1948, was he already destined to be a killer? Or was it the next crucial 10 years that made him into who he became? Kemper is still alive and has often offered his services to FBI investigators and others looking to answer these questions. Of course, everything he says must be taken with a grain of salt. Because like the little boy playing gas chamber with his sisters, what he desires most is the attention.
Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more stories like this, I've got a somewhat obvious suggestion for you. Listen in to one of our most popular Spotify originals, Serial Killers. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other originals for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Greg Castro, with writing assistance by Alex Benedon, and fact-checking by Bennett Logan. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Listeners, there's no better time than right now to open your heart to the hit Spotify original from Parcast, Blind Dating. Every Wednesday, find out if personality alone is enough to make a love connection. Follow Blind Dating, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.